Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of If We Can Just Say. Today marks our 60th episode. I am, as always, your host, Jessica Carter Ogle, and with me is my husband, Stephen Ogle. Hey, everybody, and co-host. I'm not just a husband. I'm a co-host. He's not just a co-host. He's a husband. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's something. I don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I got got old Steve with me today, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't even like that. I wish I hadn't said that. Yeah, no, nobody call. There's only one person that calls me Steve, and that's Jared. I don't mm. know why he's never called me Steve, and he's never called me yeah. any other nicknames that I was ever given. He just calls me Steve, and I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, I accept it. It's cool. Okay. All right, no well, bigs. We are here today. Woohoo! Yes, we have had a bit of a long past few days. We've had a lot of family in town, which it's been bittersweet. So it's been wonderful to see all of our family. My uncle Johnny is in from Arizona, and my cousin Kelly and her husband Wes came in. Um, the bittersweet portion is we did have a memorial service for Uncle Johnny's partner, George. So yeah. sending love and sympathy out to Uncle Johnny and missing George and just um, happy to have our family together. Happy to be able to support him, but very sad occasion. Partner of 35 years. Yeah. 35 years, man. Like that's a that's a good amount of time to have together. Like my, sure. my parents, before my dad passed, my parents were together for 34. Yeah. Like that's a long time to be together, and and at the same time, I'm sure my mom and and Uncle Johnny would tell you it's not enough. Oh, hundred percent. It's definitely. I can yeah. tell you that it wouldn't be enough with you. Yeah. Um. So you know, just sending love to Uncle Johnny, and we had a really nice memorial service with us and George's family, of course, because he's from here, and his ashes will be laid to rest here, which is really nice and full circle for him. Um, but it was nice seeing everybody. Like it was just a really good, a really good time with everybody. Um, and it's hard to balance for me the, you know, I can't wait to see everyone. I'm looking forward to every seeing everyone, but also we shouldn't all be together. Like this shouldn't be the reason, or I wish this wasn't the reason it's, it's hard to reconcile all of those feelings, you know? Yeah. I know it was hard for my uncle. He's been in for a few days. Colleen and Wes are just flying back today. But it was just it was just nice to see him getting the support that he needed. And um, he lives in Arizona, so he did like a little luncheon after George passed in Arizona. It's been a couple months, you know, since he passed. And Yeah, he did that. He said he did that back in March. March, yeah. So so he, he's in yeah. and... yeah. You know, we like I said, we had a really nice memorial service and um, a nice luncheon after, and then everyone came back to our house yesterday evening. And you know, we are just a very sarcastic, very ridiculous family, especially when Kelly and I get together. <laughs> you guys have heard her on the podcast, and I wish they had been able to stay just one extra day, and we could have had her on here with us. But yeah, um, you know, we are just sort of ridiculous, and so. I know that Uncle Johnny appreciated laughing. And he said, you guys, I, he's like, I needed your ridiculousness. Like, I needed this laugh. And, yeah. you know, it's it was it was really nice to be able to to do that and just to spend all that time together. It was it was nice. Yeah, we had a lot of good times. Uh, Wes and I stayed up a couple nights talking and we watched some playoff hockey and just had that on in the background while we were chatting and stuff. Um, I've really gotten to know Wes a lot on the last two times I've seen him. And Wes is a cool guy. He yeah. like. He's a pretty sarcastic he's guy. Nuts. He's he's he straight joke, up lunatic. He jokes around a lot, but when when it comes down to brass tacks, like Wes, Wes is a good guy. Yes, and I think the four of us are really good couple. 
friends as well, like yeah. couples to hang out with. And that was nice having them stay with us. You know, we visited them in Octo- October and stayed with them. And that kind of elevates your relationship to a different level. Kelly and I have been traveling together for years. We've been, you know, that's no biggie. But um, having, you know, staying at their place with Wes and Steven all hanging out really for the first time since like our reception when you kind of like met him, I believe. Yeah, that's first time I met him. Yeah, so that no, was No, nice. first time I met him was at Katie's oh, wedding. Oh, Katie's wedding, yeah. So that was nice, and then having them stay here was nice. I really, you know, I appreciate that. And we're all very comfortable around each other, and, you know, I, it's just, it's really nice. It's it's nice to be an adult and have those adult relationships with your family. I enjoy having the adult relationship with my uncle and with my cousins, and it's just... Yeah, it's different, and when it can translate, when your personalities translate, then that's really nice. Yeah, and, yeah, it's a good time. And today is Mother's Day, so yeah. you know my uncle and Kelly and Wes were able to be here for celebrating my mom for Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to my mom, who is the best woman I will ever know in this entire world, and I cannot even imagine, like literally, cannot even imagine life without her. Like she is just so wonderful and kind and sweet and generous and. I I love her to death and she's one of my best friends and being able to have Mother's Day for her in our house and, you know, put, putting the table together and putting out all the food and drinks and all of that. Like she, you know, has showed me over the years so many times I've talked about this before, but it just makes me so proud to be able to do that for her and so happy to be able to have her come here and have somebody do all of that for her and have that somebody be me. So I know she enjoyed it and had a good time and I just want to wish her a happy mother's day. And I, I would uh, say happy mother's day to your mom. I would also say happy mother's day to my mother. I would say happy mother's day to your mother. Uh, My mom, man, she's a, she's the strongest woman I know. She's so cool, man. Like, I wish I could see her more often. Um, we we talked about our moms in great detail on episode 20. I believe that's what we have, uh, It right? was episode number eight. Number eight. Wow. Wow. I, Mother, wow. Our Mother's Ooh, Day, All About Our up. Moms episode. Mess that up big number time. Number eight. Episode number eight, folks. Don't uh, Go listen to episode 20 as well. I, I'm yeah, sure who was, knows what uh, it is? Let us know what it is. Listen to it and tell us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we waxed poetic about our moms on episode eight um, and went in great detail. Like the whole episode is centered around them. Yeah. Uh, so if you, you want to hear more about our moms, that's the episode to listen to because... Uh, uh, this this week we wanted to focus more on on uh, on, on Johnny and George and, and that whole situation and stuff. So yeah, also um, our you know our yeah, moms too. and our moms. It's, uh, it's a family yeah. coming together episode. I, I yeah. wish your mom had been able to be here as well for Mother's yeah, Day. Yeah, your mom even said that she's like, man, it'd be cool if she could be up here one time for Mother's Day. And I was like, yeah, it'd be really cool because I I never see my mom on Mother's Day. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's on me. I moved to Michigan. You know, that's not on her. But, but um, you know, it's not but, like we don't, we celebrated it with her when we went down there and we brought her gifts and stuff like that for Mother's yeah. Day. And we called her this morning and we'll probably talk to her again. But, yeah, you know, that's just life happens like that. Like just because you move away or something doesn't mean that that really has to change the relationship. Like we make it a point to make sure we see your mom and that she comes here and not because we feel obligated to but because we want to yeah yeah um and and my mom man my mom's great my mom will take any time that we give with her uh, that we get with her she she loves any time that we get so um even though 
like we didn't see her for Mother's Day. Give, she didn't expect to get gifts. She had a little yeah. something for us, which was funny. It was of I course. was like, oh, well, let me go get this. Hold on. We got you a Mother's Day gift. She she's randomly like, bought us Easter gifts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's just because we were coming and she's like, I'm getting them something. Yeah. So, so that was sweet. Uh, but yeah. Um, and we'll be seeing her uh, in July. She'll be coming down. So Yeah. Coming up. Coming up. Whatever. She'll be coming up yeah. in July for yeah. her birthday, which will be fun. Yeah. Get to celebrate my mom's birthday with her. That'll be cool. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, do we want to hit the album anniversaries? Oh, yeah. I know people are on the edge of their seat for those. So, for those of you that uh, are might be new listeners, we do a thing called album anniversaries uh, for each episode. Uh, we're doing it quick and early this week because uh, we have a little something planned special on the on the uh, other half of this episode. So uh, we're trying to get some stuff out of the way. This might be a little bit shorter section for us, but we have a reason, and we'll explain that in a few minutes. And also, we don't need to be long-winded on album anniversaries. <laughs> Little do you know. Yeah. Let's, gosh. See, see, folks, this is why this is why Jess can't be in charge of the album anniversaries, because she'd go through them so fast you, you wouldn't know what she said. Correct. I probably wouldn't even do them. So uh, these all take place... Between March 17th and March 21st. Oh my God, you nerd. Love it. 54 years old from 1969, The Who, Tommy. Who? Exactly. <laughs> my dad loved The Who. Loved The Who. It was great. Uh, always a who's on, who's on first, what's on second yeah, conversation with my dad. Bit. Oh my gosh. My dad was always talking about that. Uh, also like that album because, you know, it was his name, Tommy. Oh, yeah, I get that. Um, we got uh, System of a Down released their third album in uh, 2005 called Mesmerize, which had uh, Bring Your Own Bombs, BYOB, if you remember that song being all over the radio and everything. I do not. Oh, that's, I mean, that was like their big hit off that album. Cool. Um, let's see, Kingfish. Excellent guy. Yes, excellent blues musician, uh, 2019, so his album is now uh, on its fourth year anniversary. It's just called Kingfish. This is his first album. Highly recommend. If you like blues, get it. It's good stuff. The kid, at this point when he recorded, he's like 21 years old, like real young. Um, And we've seen him live. He's fantastic. From 1993, 30 years old, Janet Jackson Janet. Oh, wow. Steven had a thing for Janet Jackson. Oh, man. Who Back didn't? In the day, he who didn't have a thing for Janet he Jackson? could handle her hotness. Oh, my gosh. Who could, who, could not, who could not have a thing for Janet Jackson in 1993? I don't know. Hot stuff, man. Hot stuff. Woo! <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, a little band called uh, Something Corporate in 2002 released uh, their first album, Leaving Through the Window. Uh, which was like uh, in an era of which was dealing with mostly uh, on the radio pop punk and that sort of stuff, uh, led by piano. So it was like piano punk rock. Interesting. Um, good stuff. Uh, good song on there called Punk Rock Princess. Mm. Um, and uh, if you see Jordan, oh man, if you see Jordan's a great song. Good music video for that too. Um, let's see. 30 Seconds to Mars. Love, Lust, Faith, Dreams. Oh. I highly recommend this album if you are... Driving at nighttime, 
and you're like on an interstate and you got like a 20 minute drive, pop that on. Okay. It's great nighttime driving. I hope that's never me because I don't like to be <laughs> out at night. But I don't uh, like that. To be sleeping. That one's 10 years old now. Okay. Um, on the same day it, in 2013, Darius Rucker released True Believers. Oh. Love me some Darius Rucker, yep, man. Looking forward to that concert. Yep. That'll be coming up soon. Um, and then my final one is from 2012, 11 years old, one of my favorite albums by John Mayer, Born and Raised. Okay, that's a good one. Yep. So, uh, and that was an album that he released. Uh, man, he released that, and then he had to have surgery on his vocal cords for having melanoma. Oh. And then he couldn't talk for like eight months or something like that, eight or nine months, something like that. So he took a trip and uh, like literally did an out west trip and stuff like that. And... Uh, then he could talk, and so he set up a tour and everything for this album and recorded some extra like acoustic stuff for this album, and then he went back to get a checkup, and they're like, well, it's back. we got to do another surgery. You can't talk for a year. Wow. And literally like... Took like not him. talk at all because you'd never make it. No, I'd never make it. Um, but he turned around and wrote another full album during that year and recorded all the stuff for it, just not the vocals, and then when he got the go ahead to do the vocals he did the vocals and that was uh paradise valley i'd be like doc you need to wire his mouth shut because he ain't never gonna make it no we were at my parents on wednesday um when my uncle came in wednesday and uh, my dad and steven and my brother as well were watching wrestling and my uncle and i were sitting <laughs> at the table and my uncle's like oh that steven really likes to talk huh because you could just hear steven talking and i was like you do not know the half of it he lulls me to sleep every night uh. i'm laying in bed half asleep and he's just going 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 and then he'll be like oh it looks like i'm losing yeah i'm like yup uh. good night she doesn't even have the energy to give that kind of yup. She's just like, eh. oh, it's hilarious. My uncle said it a couple of times. He's like, Stephen sure likes to talk. I'm like, oh, Stephen can talk. He is from the South. He can talk. Yeah. And then put me in the room with your dad and oh, it's, yeah. all bets are off. Yeah. Man. The two of us are just going to go. A couple of old ladies just chatting it up. <laughs> what was it? We were coming back from Breakamuth one time with you and your mom. We had a 40 you- minute conversation on brake pads. <laughs> And I was like in the back seat, like I cannot even take this conversation anymore. This is so ridiculous. And like the, I've told you guys this story. My mom's watching some Facebook video on her phone with sound. The radio is on and then they're having this conversation. And I was like, there's so much just audio stimulation right now. And it's all awful. And I cannot even handle it. Oh anyway. my gosh. That was a good time. Uh, that was a good time. Well, as... You all know uh, it is May, so just one more time wishing Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. All moms, All yes. moms out there. Fur moms, human moms, all moms. If you got fur babies or human babies. And <laughs> I do have my little fur baby. I know she's not really a human baby, but she's still my baby. Yep. And I know when she looked at me this morning, her eyes were saying, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Oh, boy. I knew it. I saw it. But yes, she, happy- even, she even signed the card for your mom. She did. And so happy Mother's Day to everyone out there, to Stephen's mom and to my mom. We love you both very much. Yep. And also. Well, I was going to say for for Johnny's memorial, it was done by a a good friend of yours that you've known for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, that's Phil. So 
May is also Mental Health Awareness Month, and mental health is very important to both Stephen and I. Um, and so, because of that, we decided to do an interview with Dr. Philip O'Dwyer, who is the person who did George's memorial service. He's also the person that officiated our wedding. And I met him back in 2007 when I started working at the clinic he was um, the clinical director of. So, I've known him for almost 20 years really wow yeah oh that's crazy yeah um very he's we're very close he's a really great guy very kind guy and he is a therapist so we thought it would be really good for mental health awareness month to talk to him get his take on some things and sort of ask him some questions hear a little bit about mental health and just make sure that everyone out there our listeners and everyone knows that you know, mental health is health. It is a part of your health. And if you are struggling with something, if you need help, there are resources out there and we will post some resources um, in the content when we, you know, make our social media posts, but reach out for help, reach out for somebody to talk to, you know, nobody is ever as alone as they feel. Nobody is ever going through something that nobody else has experience in. Like we are all actually a community together and everybody struggles and everybody goes through things. So, you know, we wanted to talk to Phil. Yeah. And Phil is somebody who is very near and dear to us. And he, ha you know, has a lot to say on this. And we hope that you enjoy the interview. Yep. So we're going to throw to that now and uh, enjoy. Enjoy. Okay. So we are here with Phil O'Dwyer. Phil, thank you for being here. You're welcome. We are very happy to have you here. Yeah. So we are just going to get right into it, talking about mental health and all of that. But first, what is your what is your degree? What is your role? And I know you're a therapist, but mm -hmm. yeah, my doctorate is in counseling. Okay, and uh, I teach at Oakland University. I okay. teach counseling there, and I'm a therapist at Primary Care. Okay, yes, yes, all right. Ah, awesome. So, so we got a little so, work work balance here between the two of you working together. Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> Spoiler alert for everybody. These two are very familiar <laughs> with each other. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, and you also have your LMSW. So you also have your master's in social work as Correct. well as your doctorate in counseling. Correct. So you've been in the field, you've been around the block a bit, to say the least, in, uh, the, in, the, mental, right. in the behavioral health field. Uh, closing in on 50 years. 50 years. Wow. That's awesome. And I know you almost retired once, but I think it pulled you back and you got, well, you stayed. <laughs> yeah, I know it, it, the whole field of mental health work is a kind of labor of love. It's something that you feel you're making a difference in yeah, people's lives. For sure. And it gives meaning to your own life to so be able to do that. Would you say that's kind of part of what motivated you to get into the field and to stay in the field then? Yeah, I, I think the rewards... Uh, are for the individual that's the therapist you know are, are wonderful i mean really mm -hmm. uh, we have patients with severe burdens in their lives bipolar disorder maybe or suicidal thoughts and if you're able to help them navigate through rough waters it's a really good feeling yeah that's amazing and i think too um not to, you know, speak too much i am more familiar with your work in the clinic and everything but and some patients just also are so alone that they have no one to talk to. So I think you run the gambit of you've got like the bipolar patients and then you've got patients who just have no have you basically to talk to. So you have a wide range of the type of people that you interact with in this field. 
Yeah, I, I think social isolation is a big issue for particularly older patients. Mm -hmm. Maybe for younger patients, they have a connectedness through social media and things like that. But even there, while it has the veneer of connectedness to other people, it doesn't have the human contact. Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of a, a false friend in yeah. a sense it's kind of hollow in a Ho way yeah that's the way i would think of it steve yeah so <clears throat> having that human connection how do you think with the covid with telehealth how do you think that has changed do you still consider that human connection when you're on the phone or video chat and not quite face to face how is that to navigate that's a great question if you asked me that question five years ago mm-hmm I would be inclined to tell you that it couldn't work. Okay. And and then COVID came. Yeah. And forced us all to rethink how we deliver the services we deliver. Yeah. From physicians' offices to therapy through the broad range of services that are done now mm -hmm. um, through telehealth. And uh, I, I think there, one of the drawbacks often is you can't see the patient. Yeah. Sometimes people have a reluctance um, using um, telehealth whereby you can see the patient. Yeah, the video portion. The video portion. Yeah. So that you are seeing into their home. Uh, and sometimes people mm -hmm. don't feel always that comfortable seeing into their home. Right. Even though you don't particularly care one way or another. Yeah. But some people have a reluctance there. There's a there's a privacy. <clears throat> yeah. Privacy, exactly. And so what we find is I have a lot of patients who like it on the phone. Mm -hmm. Okay. For that for that reason. Yeah. Now it's it's also more convenient for them. They don't have to leave their house. Right. And if they're older, driving in Michigan winter weather. Yeah. And so on often becomes a, a difficulty. Yeah. And um, so it's much more convenient. And and but we're still able to deliver the connectedness we're talking about, yeah. the interpersonal relationship. So would you say with that that like telehealth has actually made things better in a way? I think it has. Yeah. Uh, honest to God, I think it has. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and I, I will tell you something else. Therapy is better today than it ever has been in my almost 50 years of practicing. So That's one thing I was going to ask you, like yes. therapy today. How, yeah. what, what changes have you seen and... Well, what, what I've seen across the broad spectrum of diagnosis is that psychotherapy is much more focused. I think all of the criticisms of managed care and so on um, are probably a bit on the superficial side okay. because it forces clinicians to be more focused with patients and to not be dragged off onto sidetrack conversations. Okay. You're only getting so many sessions you have to make him count. Okay, yeah. And that causes the therapist to be more focused. It causes the patient also to pick up that focus. Mm -hmm. And the seriousness of what we're trying to do is kind of a byproduct of that. So things have become more intentional as the therapeutic field has progressed. Intentional is perfect word. Okay. That's, that's right. Now, that's half of it. That's mm -hmm. the psychotherapy side. I think medications as well have become much more effective. Okay. And much more tailored to specific kinds of needs of patients. Mm -hmm. If you go back 25, 30 years ago, the medications were like, if you think of shotgun 
uh, okay. kind of effort, you know. Yeah. Whereas now they're much more rifle targeted to areas of the brain that are impacted by whatever the diagnosis is. Okay. So we find now that psychotherapy and medication together are usually the more effective remedy for many of these things that people struggle with. And I think, too, just the change in the way the patients are treated. You know, back 40 years ago, it was, okay, well, let's toss something at them. And instead of, like, that focus targeting help that they need, it's more like a Band-Aid of, you know, keep them quiet. We don't know what's really going on. Are, are people being dramatic? Are people, like, I think people are nowadays like, how does everybody have this anxiety or everybody have this depression? I'm like, in a lot of things in this world today that we're seeing, it's not so much that no one had it before. It's just the social media, the news outlets, things are so much more in your face. So we're seeing it now. And I think that is also helping people to speak about it more. Would you say that you're seeing a lot more people talking about it more, more people seeking help that might not have 20 years ago? I think the stigma of 20 years ago has softened yeah. dramatically. Uh, I think television coverage uh, of varying things. Now, we've had, in the recent couple of weeks, we've had you know mass shootings in Tennessee and Kentucky, both of those yep. states. <clears throat> and um, the whole discussion of mental health and mental illness. Yeah. Uh, for a long time, and still to some degree today, Mental illness is the poor cousin of the healthcare delivery system. Hmm. Uh, from a funding yeah. point of view, from a political support point of view, yep. um, everybody is quick to offer um, good thoughts and prayers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what we have to do in addition to good thoughts, and I mean, God helps those who help themselves. Right. And what we have to add is we have to add adequate funding. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at the mental health field, you look at every mental health clinic across the country, and they're all running on a shoestring. Yeah. Yeah. Clinicians are paid very little in this country. Yep, that's very true. And um, because of that, it tells you how it's valued. Yeah. And bottom line is it's not that valued. It isn't. And you're expected yeah. to do pro bono work as well. You're expected to keep your patients and you don't want to have abandonment for your patients. But you also, it is a career. It is, although it is a calling for a lot, it is still, you still have bills to pay. So the inadequate funding, it's just a trickle down to everybody, to therapists making not enough money, to patients not being able to pay for just their simple copays. And mm -hmm. a lot of people who are low socioeconomic background have a lot of these struggles that other people don't understand. They can't make their copays. They can't, they're on Medicaid. Most clinics don't even accept Medicaid anymore because it's so hard to get money from them. It's so hard to get the claims paid. So you are very right in the fact that mental health, although the stigma is better, is still not in a funding capacity, a priority in this country. And you talk about all the stuff going on in the news and people blaming mental health, but they're not doing anything to fix it. They're not helping, like you're saying. That's, that's one part of our problems. The yeah. next part of our problems is a, is a teaching. Yes, Teaching also is not valued, and teachers are not paid adequately in large tracks across the country. Yeah. Te teachers are paid so poorly that they qualify for food stamps yeah. during the summer. Wow. 
and uh, people have no idea. Now, the people are leaving education by the tens of thousands right now. So true. Wow. Yep. So you, she mentioned before that like you thought about leaving and you didn't, and you've mentioned that you've been teaching. So with that, there's a there's a why. What is your hard base for why you've never left and why you're also teaching? Like you mentioned that it brings value to your life as well, but like these changes that we've seen in the last 20 years, is is that also because you're helping to affect more change? That's exactly it. The idea is that you can influence the next generation of clinicians in one side of my life is from a teaching point of view. And then from a general public service point of view, uh, I'm able to influence, hopefully, how the government thinks through yeah. consulting with different governments and, and so on. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I went to a therapist at one point when I went through my divorce. And prior to that, I was on the stigma side of, of like therapy is, you know, for, for people that are unwell or at that time, I probably would have said something dumb as saying crazy. And then I went to therapy and it was the absolute best thing. I probably wouldn't be here had I not went to a therapist. So I have a completely different viewpoint now. And the fact that like, it is absolutely necessary to go to therapy to, to talk things out. Well, it, that's the, that's exactly the point. Um, so you were going through divorce and someone could say to you, or even you could say to yourself, I, I'm going to talk to this therapist. But how the Dickens is he going to fix my divorce? I'm getting divorced. Yeah. You're talking to him isn't going to fix that. Yeah. And of course, it isn't intended to fix the divorce. No. It's in, intended to help you deal with the divorce in an effective, healthy way. Yeah. yeah. And I found stuff out <clears throat> about myself that I didn't even know because a lady had been doing it for 25 plus years mm -hmm. and she was able to pull things together. So that... All this about a little bit about myself to ask you the question, when you talk to somebody with your experience, like you've seen so much, how do you, how do you stay not, um, I don't want to say jaded because that's not the right word, but how do you stay in a positive attitude about and excited about your job to do this with seeing so much, so many problems that people have and issues they're going through how do you stay on the ups because I, I fundamentally see what we do as we're merchants of hope we are people who bring hope to people's lives i like that you know wow. and we help them they're overwhelmed by the circumstances of their life experience whatever it turns out to be <clears throat> they can't see their way out of it and i always feel when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Mm. And Very true. And so uh, helping people to take a different perspective from the one that overwhelms them helps empower them to see a pathway out and a way of adjusting to or coping with whatever the struggle is. And then if it's biochemical, we'll have to talk about medication mm -hmm. that might help soften the symptoms so that we can make headway with the psychotherapy. Yeah. Wow. Like, do you have, do you have patients that you've seen for a very, very, very long time? I have patients that I've seen for years that <clears throat> you see them for a while and then they carry on with their life and you don't see them again for three or four or five years. 
and then they call up because something new has occurred in their life. Um, there are, that's one kind of group of people you see for a long time. Then there are conditions that are companions for life that don't go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, yeah. personality disorders, for example, bipolar disorder and some of those, you know, schizophrenia. Yeah. Those conditions kind of come and go. Mm-hmm. You know, they're at bay for a while and yeah. then they get out of control or the patients stop taking the medication that they should be taking. <clears throat> and um, then new problems arise and then they come back into therapy for a while. We stabilize them, get them refocused and get their life under control and they carry on again. Yeah. I think it's like the waves of life and what you're dealing with. And I've always said that everybody has something they need to go to therapy about. At least once in your life, there's something that happened that you could use the benefit of talking to somebody else that doesn't know you, that can be objective with you, that can help shape your mind to think about something differently. You know, even when you talk to your friends or your family, they know you. So there's always, sometimes they can give you a different perspective, but it's not the same thing as someone who is trained to know how to give you that different perspective and to help you get it yourself to guide you out of it. Like you said, like there's always, I think it would do everybody good to have a little therapy in their life. I've I've always thought that. Well, it, yeah. Well, first of all, it's good to have a friend. Yeah. Just yeah. just a friend in life that you can share your struggles with and so on. And if the struggles get to be too complicated, then we have to notch it up from a friend to a professional. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how we much much of our society uh, experience isolation and lack of friendships. Yeah, they're busy. They pass by each other uh, so quickly. Yeah, I mean, in the rat race world we live in, everything happens so quick. Like ev- your days are so busy. I-, I often feel like our days are so busy, and I don't even know what I'm doing or how they're so busy. But I think it's the culture of our world that everything is so busy, and you're having all these surface relationships with people as you pass by really quickly, and maybe grab a drink after work or something, but you don't you don't like have that meaningful relationship as much anymore. One of the quick things we're seeing is all the voluntary organizations that used to be and have lots of people on committees mm-hmm. doing things are now struggling to find people to serve on these committees. Really? Largely because people don't have time. Yeah. Mm. They're, they're having a couple of different jobs. They're raising children. They're going to this, that, and the other thing. And they, they don't just don't have the time. Yeah. So we, you've mentioned self-isolation twice. So do you see more of that now than what you've seen in the past? Is this something that, like, what, I guess what I'm asking is what are the ki- type of trends that you've seen go up and down? What is more, what's something like that that's more prevalent that wasn't prevalent 20 years ago? There was more of a community sense uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Hmm. Now, there are some areas where those communities do exist, where neighbors are neighbors. Yeah. And they connect with each other and they kind of do things together and they go to each other's uh, marriages and family celebrations and things like that. And occasionally they'll have a rib-off in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) to celebrate that. Yeah. Uh, But but most people live in isolation. Mm -hmm. They have their own thing. They have to get up, go to work, go to the gym get home, get dinner, yep. and the next day is do here. Yeah, do it all the next day. Yeah, yeah you know. And uh, so I think 
we're more isolated in a lot of ways, even with the technology, with all the communication. And even, I, I saw a great picture about a year or two ago. There were four or five teenagers in a restaurant. And they, they're sitting around the table. Yep. Each one had their phone out in front of them, and they were all texting. Yeah. Different yeah. people. So here they are sitting together around a table in a restaurant. And now each of the people are talking to somebody else somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that illustrates the kind of lack of... Um, Still isolating and, while yeah. being social, technically. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's crazy. I know when her and I go out on dates and stuff and go to a restaurant, like, we don't pull out our phones. Like, we'll right. even tell the other person, all right, put your phone down. We're, we're here doing this. Yeah, I often tell him, put your phone down. <laughs> we, ha we have to remind each other, but it's a thing that we... Yeah consciously do and don't get mad at the other person and put her phone away it's like all right cool yeah we got you have moment. to be like, mindful to socially interact with people nowadays that's, right. that's an odd thing to me like it you actually have to be mindful to be like oh i'm not going to pull out my phone when i'm out with somebody else and like you said not too long ago that wasn't even a thing you thought about. You went out with your friend. You were catching up. You were hanging out. Yeah. Like, yeah. And now it's just, it's very different. So for as more connected as we've become with the internet and being able to have, you know, experiences with people who live far away or your family or whatnot is more disconnected that we've become as well. I don't know how you really combat that. Yeah. I, I don't know either. Yeah. It's very, it's very tricky. So what do you, what, what advice do you give to somebody who's maybe struggles with self-isolation and they know it, but they don't know how to get out of it. What do you, what do you suggest to them to get, how do they go about getting therapy? Well, the getting therapy is the second part. The first part is to develop friendships. And in order to have a friend, you need to be a friend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And having that disposition of mind, first of all, of welcoming and um, being non-judgmental of other people uh, and whatever decisions they make about their life yeah, and, and you know, connecting with them. Yeah. That'd be the first thing. You, the, the second part of your question is about therapy then. Um, seeking therapy from a therapist that would be compatible with yourself would be the first thing. Now, how are you going to find such a person? And there might be a little bit of trial and error, one of the recommendations would be if you know somebody who has been in therapy with a specific therapist, yeah. ask them, why do you like him? Why is this person a, you know, favorable mm -hmm. or not favorable, positives or negatives? Yeah. And because there are different therapeutic styles and yep. approaches that For people sure. can have. Yeah. You know, some people can be very psychodynamic and looking into your childhood and the conflicts of, uh, one's development and so on. Another can be more concrete and looking at the thought patterns that are driving the depression or the anxiety or whatever is going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Others can be more open to medication, while then others might be more close to medication. Yeah. Uh, so, finding the right fit would be asking around, asking people who would know. Yes. Um, I think too, and like you said, some trial and error. Like if you go to a therapist and you don't click or you don't have, don't be discouraged because at the end of the day, it is still personality types. That doesn't mean that there isn't the right therapist out there for you. Like really make your mental health a priority to find the best fit for you so that you do the work as well and you feel compelled to do the work with that person. I agree. I agree. 
that's 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 an important perspective is to find the fit find the right person for you yeah um and and they're there i mean there's lots of therapists available yes you know i think a big issue as well you know and see what you think on this is being vulnerable so you have to be vulnerable to be honest about yourself and honest about what you need. And even when you talk about to have friends, you have to be a friend. You still there is a level of vulnerability there. And I think with the isolation that comes from social media and the Internet, especially for teens with all the kind of like bullying and things that go out there, like if you make one wrong move or one simple mistake, you could be viral. You could be out there. So I think that plays into a lot of isolation too and it's hard to balance that being honest about who you are and what you need vulnerable with friends family and your therapist versus you know feeling scrutinized as well by having like this internet presence there is there is that and the, the sense um you know of to remember of confidentiality that yeah. occurs in a in a professional context that confidentiality is there and confidentiality is real yeah um uh, and to be able to develop a level of trust with your therapist that uh, everything is on the table yeah. everything is shared everything is um is um basically um expressed in a confident trusting relationship yeah yeah and you know uh, as i mentioned with myself i'd never gone to therapy prior to my divorce i didn't i didn't know what i was getting into i i saw the lady's profile online and and everything that she was you know she worked with anybody of any religion she had a full profile and how many years she had been doing it and the types of people she had worked with and stuff and i was like all right this lady seems very open but i didn't know until i got in the room mm -hmm. obviously when i got in the room i was blown away at how like her personality fit with me mm -hmm. and i didn't have to go anywhere else like i was I was all set. Like she was so nice. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, uh, I guess I want to ask about the stigma. Like there's been a stigma for a long time uh, with movies and TV where they've, where they've portrayed therapists in a bad light for so long. And we've seen a couple of things here recent uh, with shows that we've watched where they've had therapists be portrayed in a better manner. But what does that, what does that do with you? Like, how do you, how do you combat that? Does do you do you experience people that come in with already a pre pre notion of what preconceived notion preconceived notion of what therapy is supposed to be like? Well, we have the whole range of reactions. If they're the first time in therapy, I usually ask them um, about that and what do you what are you expecting? What are you hoping will happen? And then I give them a little rundown on what how we normally proceed, like. Yeah. What's the kind of protocol? This is what happens. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is the way the conversation, first session is going to be the life and times of the patient, you know, the history. Yeah. And then we work along toward the goals and so on. Yeah. Uh, then you ask another patient, they've been in therapy before. I always want to know, how did it go? And sometimes they're critical yeah. because the experience didn't go well. Well, we want to try to understand what didn't go well. Because that's going to tell you how you need to be in terms of crafting the relationship with them. Yeah. You don't want to walk down that same road. Yeah. Right. Whatever yeah, it is, that, whatever it is created a problem. And then you have people who are, who feel that mental illness is a kind of a moral failing. 
Mm. Why can't you manage your own life, stand up straight and face the world and deal with it? Like everybody else Every, does. Like, like everybody else does. We all have problems, yeah. and why can't you what, just, yeah. 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 You know, and so that you are somehow self-described as less than. Yeah. There's some yeah. deficit that yeah. you have. And so therefore, if you go to a therapist, you're recognizing that you have this deficit, this moral weakness, this failing. And of course, that's not what it is at all. Not at all. Yeah. But, but that's where the stigma comes, I think. I, and, and as I've tried to help some people understand mental health more, I mean, I've been around it for a long time. Mm -hmm. I've worked in two different clinics, as I've said before, and you know, I have uh, my degree in psychology. But I always say to people who just don't understand, I'm like, if you had a broken leg, would you just walk it off? Yeah. No, yeah. you're going to go and you're going to get your leg looked at by a doctor. It's the same thing when it comes to your mental health, just because you can't see it, just because, you know, you can't physically see it and other people can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. We do not have to show other people our pain in order for it to be real. Exactly. And... If someone's listening to this right now and is literally in those shoes, what would you say? Oh, I would say the water is fine. Jump in. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, help is available. Compassionate and competent clinicians are there. And they are more focused, uh, more professional, and more skillful than they've ever been in, in the history of the field. And therefore, I would take hope at this point, you know. Now, there are some limitations that come in from insurance constraints. You can see this therapist, but you can't see that one because of, of insurance constraints that, that yeah. happen. But that's sh that should not be a barrier to overall uh, receiving care and receiving care in time. Yeah, the old saying, a stitch in time saves nine. This, this is true with mental illness as well. Things get worse. They never get better yep. without yeah. assistance. Yep. Yep. You know, a patient is depressed, and so they're pessimistic and negative and so on, and they let it go for one year. They let it go for two years. They're making life for, for the people around them um, unpleasant as well, unintentionally, but it is. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and the next thing is they develop patterns of thinking that are almost intractable. They're mm -hmm. pessimistic, negative patterns. Very harmful. Yeah. So, that's right. It, it gets worse. It gets more ingrained. Neural pathways become more entrenched over time. And now they become negative people. Mm -hmm. If we mm -hmm. were able to deal with that two years ago, when it, this was beginning, we'd begin to help them see cognitive distortions that they're experiencing, you know, and, and correct those and kind of bypass that whole you, thing. You I know, it's interesting you talk, sorry, I just jumped over you. No, that's okay. It's interesting you talk about that because I went to physical therapy um, for, I had a golf ball, golf ball size knot behind my right shoulder blade from all my muscles. Mm -hmm. And had I not gone, it would have continued to change even the way my posture and everything moves. And eventually like my shoulder and everything, I would have been hunched over and stuff. Had I not gone and got help, it would have continued to exacerbate. That's yep. right. So not like what you're saying, that's, that's a lot of the mental health field that people don't look at and understand that that's, it's the same thing. It's, it's your brain that needs to be like healed. Yes. And if you don't, 
work on it, it's going to continue to knot up and get worse. And it doesn't, there is nothing wrong with you as a person because of that. And you are not alone. There is so many people out there who feel the same things you do and need the same help that you do. I think everyone, another level of the isolation is feeling isolated in the way they feel in their depression or their anxiety. So I think it's just important to know that people are out there to help you. No matter what, not just in the month of May for mental health awareness, but every month and every day. Yeah. And the big, the big difference uh, that we have when you're dealing with a professional therapist is they're non-judgmental. Exactly. Whereas family members maybe are tired of hearing your pessimism or your worrying (laughs) or your anguish and they're, they're just weary of it. Yeah. And they may not always be as, as pleasant, you know? Because of that. And you may not always be as honest with them as well. That's also correct. Yeah, and the thing is, is that um, you're a professional who's gone to school, got your degree, and understands that that's what you have to do. Family members... We don't, we don't, (laughs) we don't have that expertise. And even, I'm sure, like... Even dealing with like your family, you probably still look at it. I I don't want to speak for you, but do you still treat it from a professional point of view in in relationships is the way you do with therapy? Or do you fall into the way like, like, do you fall the other way? Or does, I guess the break I'm looking for is between personal and work life. Does that, how does that change for you? Is there a changeover or, or is it constant? You always have to be vigilant because the human side comes into the equation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you say to yourself, oh, you know, you have a family member that's worrying, anxious, yeah. worrying about things that they have no business worrying about at all. They should be on their knees thanking God for the blessings yeah. they have. And here they are worrying day and night. Yeah. And uh, times of frustration will lead you to say, what, what yeah. is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that's no, I mean, that's it's normal. It's a human But thing. that is why there are therapists. Yes. That is why there is somewhere else to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, man, I, I think we could probably talk about this I know, for another we could. We might another have to hour. have him on for another. <laughs> yeah, we other. we got to have a part two on the uh, on the mental yeah health awareness. Uh, this um, this has been great. I've I really enjoyed picking your brain a little bit more about about this. So yeah, yeah. this is fantastic. So um, I I you can find us on all of our social media and stuff like that. Uh, yes. For if we can just say. Um, our email address, if we can just say uh, 918. Um, we're on Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, yes. Twitter, everywhere. Please leave like, subscribe, leave us a review, Apple yep. Podcasts. Um, thank you, so Phil. We've enjoyed Phil. having you well, on. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. I, I hope you all have enjoyed listening to this episode. I believe that's all we can say this week. Bye, y'all. Um, we're uh, testing right now, so everybody talk a little bit. What testing, do we got going on? Testing. testing. Yeah, we're uh, testing and see if this whole operation works. <laughs> <laughs> we got some skepticism here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Skepticism. All right, let's see what it sounds like.